I've got two young players in the studio with me that play in the NBA with the Golden State Warriors, one taken in the first round, the other taken in the second round, and this is the face of professional basketball. These guys are going to be around for a long time. One is Harrison Barnes, the rookie forward for the Warriors, taken by Golden State in the first round. And, of course, he played a couple of years for Roy Williams at North Carolina. The other is Draymond Green, rookie forward for the Warriors, taken in the second round, and he played for Tom Izzo at Michigan State. You know, guys, as I look around the league and I see the young players and I've watched you both play, one of the things I'm most impressed with is the passion in which you guys play this sport. Now, I know you grew up with it, but I wonder if you would each give me your perspective on the passion that you have for playing basketball. And I'll start you with you, Harrison. Well, I mean, just playing at the NBA level, um, I mean, there's nothing you could ask more for. I mean, this is what, you know, a lot of basketball players dream of, what a lot of basketball players want to be, the situation they want to be in. So, I mean, we just go out there. I mean, it's just it's such a blessing that you just want to play with as most as much passion as you can. Take me back to when that passion started for you. I probably started getting serious about the game of basketball probably when I was in the fifth grade. I realized I had an opportunity you know, play this game at maybe you know the high school level, the varsity level, which was you know big in the state of Iowa. So um, that's something I always tried to do was just um, just play as hard as I can, play with you know all the passion that I had for this game, and just realize that you know it's a it's an opportunity to play this game. It's not a not a right. Draymond, uh, you know, like Harrison said, you know, it's some you know being able to play in the NBA is something that every kid dreams of. So when you actually get here. You know, you want to go out and give it your all every single day, not only just because you're here, but because you want to play and be in this league as long as you possibly can. And you know, so just going out and playing with passion every day. But, you know, you're going to be passionate about something that you love to do. I think that's what anybody in any job or anything that you do, if you are if you love doing something, you're going to be passionate about it. How do you maintain the balance between reality and what your desire is? Because, uh, you know, not everybody does make it to professional sports. I mean, you know, I think it's just, you know, staying grounded is the most important thing. Um, you know, you still have to live your everyday life. You know, you're still talking to people who are in certain situations, you know, certain situations that you may be involved in. And also, you know, some I think some of the things that also help me as well is, you know, just seeing some of the guys in our locker room. You know, you see these guys who are making the millions and millions and millions of dollars and, you know, you look at all those different things and take it into account of things that you need to do, things that you need to work on, what you need to do to get to a certain level that you want to get to. And I think that's one of the most important things for me. You know, Draymond, you brought up a very interesting, uh, you made an interesting statement when you said stay grounded. That's not something that's really very easy for somebody young. I mean, if you're a star athlete at the high school level, you know that all of a sudden people are, you know, a lot of adulation. People are doing things for you. People want a part of Draymond Green. They want a part of Harrison Barnes as well. I want both of you to tell me what that was like growing up as being stars in basketball. What was it like for you, Draymond? I mean, you know, my career hasn't, you know, been the prototype, you know, where you're getting all the attention, all those things. You know, I've always kind of flew under the radar. You know, a lot of people said I was too big. A lot of people said I was too slow, couldn't do this, couldn't do that. However, I always had a, you know, a decent amount of stardom, if that's what you want to call it. And, you know, it's kind of like, you know, of course, like you said, everybody wants a part of you. Everybody wants to do this for you. They want to do that for you. They want to be here, want you to be there, want you to do all these different things. And, you know, I think one of the things that really helped me out a lot with that is my mom. You know, I can do anything, maybe go for <laughs> 40 points. And 
I come home and she's going to say something negative to make sure, you know, you still need to work on this, you still need to do that. So, you know, I think that's one of the things that helped me out is, like I said, my mom just always being my biggest critic and making sure, you know, you know that you're never too good. You still got a lot of work to do and something that's going to keep on continue to push me. And Harrison, it was a little bit different for you because you've always been a star at almost every level that you played. I mean, you had a lot of people that wanted you. You ended up going to North Carolina. But what, what was it like for you when you were young and you had to deal with all that adulation? Um, I always looked at it as a, a big chip on my shoulder. You know, I was always you know, the kid from you know, that place that no one knew about, Iowa. I mean, we're not, we're not known for producing basketball players. So and I was kind of looked at it as just kind of motivation to always you know, prove where I was from. You know, if I was, if I was ranked high, you know, people always didn't believe no, I deserve that ranking. And then when you come to this level, you know, with so many great stars, I think what's good about our team is that, you know, we just have, you know, really humble vets. I mean, a guy like, you know, Stephen Curry, um, a guy you, you can see, you know, he'll go out there and get 30 points. But, you know, you never see him in the locker room, you know, pounding his chest. You never see him, you know, walk around with a different swag as if he's better than anybody. You know what I'm saying? If anything, you would think, you know, he was you know, the lowest guy on the totem pole you know, trying to work his way on the team. I mean, he's just – He's just that type of leader and that type of guy that you know always kind of defers the attention. So I think that just really kind of trickles down through our whole team. I want to ask you both about something that's a commonality, certainly a commonality that I have found in all my years of interviewing athletes, particularly African-American athletes. <clears throat> I have always found that during the course of the interview with them, at some point they will bring up their mothers. And there's something about the black woman in the family that is just almost overpowering to some degree. Can you guys both help me since your mothers were so instrumental in your lives? And Harrison, I'll start with you. Um, well, you know, I, I mean, I owe everything I, I am to this day to my mom. Um, you know, she was obviously the backbone of our family. Um, it's just me, her, and my sister. Um, she just always tried to instill that work ethic in me. And, you know, she didn't always say it, but, you know, I had to see it as well. I mean, she worked very hard to just put us in this situation that I am now. So I'm really thankful, you know, to have her in my life and, Thankful that she got me to this point. She put a lot of pressure on you. What, what What's your middle name? Uh, Bryce Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> and what did she used to do? Uh, she used to have me watch Michael Jordan clips growing up <laughs> to try to uh, influence me to be a basketball player. <laughs> That's not much pressure coming from mom, is it? Uh, not at all. But, I mean, you had to look at the the bigger point of what she was trying to do. She just wanted me to just, um, whatever I did, um, just try to pursue excellence. Uh, Michael Jordan was her image of what excellence was in terms of basketball but whether it was school whether it was you know just being a good person whatever it was she always just encouraged me to just be the best that I can since she was so influential in your life what was the best piece of advice she ever gave you oh the best piece of advice I mean she's given me so much but I think just the uh the biggest thing that the biggest advice she's given me recently is learn to deal with uh learn to deal with people because the type of person that somebody is, you know, you may be able to run from that situation, but people recycle themselves. So you continue to see that type of person down the line. So just always, you know, being understanding, always being, you know, caring, cerebral, you know, being able to talk and deal with different types of people. Because, you know, we run into different types of people all the time. So I think that's the best advice she's given me. And, and Draymond, give me your perspective on the black woman in the family. Why so strong, that image? I mean, my mom... She just has a strong personality. You know, I think she can rub off on rub off on just about anybody. So, you know, growing up in that household, that's kind of where I get my personality from, where I'm not, you know, I'm not afraid to speak. I'm not afraid to do this or say this or being tough. You know, that's one thing my mom always preached is being tough. She used to tell us, if you're going to be soft, you can't live in my house. 
you know, and it kind of help, helps me on the basketball court. It helps me with everything in life, just the type of person I am. So, you know, I think just growing up around that each and every day, you know, I'm not sure what it is about it that, you know, made, like, made me the way that I am, but, you know, her personality is just so dominant, and it's just rubbed off on me. And she was somebody that believed in academics, and you did something wrong one time, and she said, I took away his phone, his PlayStation, I even took apart his bed. I don't know where he slept. I was mad. What was she mad about? Well, you know, um, this is one of the most embarrassing things in my life. I was um, <laughs> So it was my ninth grade science class. I was doing really good in the class. So my teacher, he averaged our grades out through, like, he put all three grades from each semester. And the final exam grade, he added it in but put a 0% basically showing us what we needed to get or what we needed to do to pass the class to get what grades you want and all those different things. So, you know, me, I'm never settling for less. So all I needed was a 0.4%, 0.4. And I'm trying to get 100%. So, you know, I studied, didn't feel like I had the material quite, quite the way I wanted it. So I cheated. And he let me get all the way to, I had like two questions left on the exam. And of course, you know, I wasn't a fool. So, you know, I got a couple questions wrong on purpose. <laughs> and <laughs> I got to the last two questions. He came and lifted my exam up and took the study guide and walked away. Turned back around and took my test. So I failed the class. And my mom found report, I didn't say a word. And my report cards came out, I was laying on the floor. And she came in, she started opening report cards up. I walked out the room. <laughs> and she started yelling. I already knew what she was yelling about, so I went downstairs. I went back downstairs, and she's like, what's this grade about this, that, and the other? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know how I failed the class. I was doing great. She takes out the phone book and calls the teacher. Searches phone number, calls the teacher, and he gives her everything that happened. So she took basketball away. She didn't let me go. Michigan State was always my dream school. She didn't let me go to Michigan State team camp didn't let me go to any AAU tournaments, and made me go to summer school. And she told me right then and there, if took my phone, took all those things that you mentioned, told me right then and there, if your grades don't come up, you'll never play basketball again. And that, from that point on, you know, it just made me take my grades a lot more serious and, because she knew I could do it. It was, just, it was just a matter of if I wanted to. At that point, I didn't want to. And your quote was, I was the class clown. I thought that was the way to be popular. I found out that wasn't the way. I didn't study trying to do everything the easy way. We'll talk more about that with two outstanding young players in the NBA with the Golden State Warriors, Harrison Barnes and Draymond Green, as we continue on America's Sports Talk Show. We're talking basketball with two fine young players in the NBA, both with the Golden State Warriors, so look for them as you watch NBA basketball because they're going to be around for a long time. Harrison Barnes, a forward for the Warriors, also Draymond Green, a forward as well. Tell me what the recruiting process was like for each of you. Harrison, of course, as I mentioned, I noticed you Skyped your acceptance. <laughs> You're shaking your head. <laughs> DeRoy Williams, is that true? Uh, yes, when I, was, when I was a young man, I... Uh, you know, thought it'd be wise to try to do something, uh, something different, and I decided to do my decision on Skype. What was the reaction uh, from the UNC fans or from the other fans? All of them. All of <laughs> I'm the, sure they were different. Uh, from the UNC fans, they were ecstatic. Um, they were happy. From everybody else, uh, you know, words like selfish and egotistical definitely floated <laughs> around. So, uh, 
Definitely, uh, there was a broad broad spectrum of emotions. And, and and your final decision to go to UNC, what was it based on? I, I'm always interested in what kids mm. ultimately decide because a lot of people talk about academics, and yet I've always found you go to the school. I remember a coach telling me in football one time, he said, I said, what's the first question you ever get asked when you go into a recruit's home? He said, it used to be, how many times are we going to be on television? He said, now we're on television all the time. He <laughs> said, now it's, uh, you know, uh, how long do I have to stay before I can jump to professional basketball and everything? Well, what was the decision-making process for you? The biggest thing for me was how well I got along with my teammates. Um, obviously, I knew I was going to spend a lot of time you know, in class with the coaches, obviously playing at a high level. But, I mean, the dudes that I was going to be you know, practicing with every single day, you know, in the locker room with, you know, going out to eat with, you know, living with. So, I got along with the guys at you know UNC so well. You know, guys I still talk to today, guys I still keep in touch with who are at the school now, and it just made my whole college experience just I mean that much more different. Was it hard for you to get out of the state of Iowa? Yeah, I say it was difficult. Um, I mean, obviously, I have a lot of a lot of love in the state of Iowa. You know, I love that state. You know, they it raised me. So, you know, it was tough leaving, but I knew it was the best decision for me. Draymond, for you, you never wanted to leave the state. You already said that Michigan State was your ideal place. That's the place you dreamed of. But how difficult was it? Uh, did Michigan make a run at you? Yes. My, you know, Michigan State fans, of course, hated, but my <laughs> final decision came down to Michigan, Michigan State, and Indiana. How much did that have to do with uh, academics, basketball, or <laughs> Tom Izzo? Of course, anytime you're looking at Michigan, you're going to take academics into consideration and you know, I think it helped a lot that Michigan State was a pr- pretty good academic school as well. But, you know, playing for Coach Izzo was one of was one of the things that really made me want to go to Michigan State. You know, of course, like Harrison said, I, w- I wasn't really into how good would I get along with my teammates. And, you know, when I actually first co- committed to Michigan State before, I asked Coach Izzo, he said, name me some things that you will want out of coming here. I named seven things. It was like playing time, you know, how my family doing, winning, all those things. And he named off all six things. And then the seventh thing he said, well, playing time. I can't guarantee you that. I don't know how you're going to work. I don't know who's going to outplay you. I don't know all this. So I can't guarantee you that. And when he said that, you know, it made me love him that much more just as a person. Like, you know, you you didn't lie to me. You know, you get sometimes the recruiting game is a big lie. And for you to not lie to me and tell me that straight up, it made me want to go to Michigan State that much more. Yeah, one of the things I heard, I remember uh, talking to Mike Krzyzewski. I've known him for a long time. And I asked him, I said, do you set goals for your team? He said, no. And he said, what if I set a goal winning 20 games and we win our first 20 games? What the hell do we do after that then? And he says, I don't, I don't lie to my kids. I don't promise them you know, they're going to have so much playing time. He said, I do do one thing, though. He said, when I go into a recruit's home, he said, I make sure I ask the question of a parent or both of them. And then out of the corner of my eye, as the parents are answering the question, I see if the kid rolls his eyes or not as his parents are answering the question. I said, what does that tell you? He says, that tells me if he doesn't do that, that he respects authority and he respects his parents. And I thought it was really insightful. And you can see the character of people that he has at his program. You can see the character for Roy Williams, certainly at North Carolina, and Tom Izzo up at Michigan State as well. The, the personalities of those two coaches, I wonder if you each would, would go into them because I've known Roy for a long time as well. He, he looks like he's dead serious. Tom Izzo looks like he's – I think his arms and legs are going to come off and his ears are going to go flying and his eyes pop out of his head or not. But tell me a little bit about Roy and, and the type of coach he is. Uh, I mean, Coach Williams, he's 
I mean, he's old school. I mean, he's <laughs> he's loud. I mean, he'll get in your face. But at the end of the day, I mean, you know, all he wants to do is win. Um, I mean, we've done we did some crazy things um, at school, and just in terms of running, conditioning, that kind of stuff. Um, he's old school. That's, that's that's the biggest thing I'll say. He's old school. You have one of the great great basketball rivalries. Every state has one, but certainly the Duke North Carolina rivalry on game day. Game night. Tell me what that is like, whether it's out in Chapel Hill or whether it's down the road at Duke. I mean, I, I can't. I can't even explain it. I mean, it's <laughs> that was probably the highlight of my college experience. I mean, just playing those games, just because. I mean, it was so much bigger than that. I mean, everyone has their school that they cheer for, but then it was like everyone kind of had their like side bet of, oh, who are you going with, UNC or, or Duke? So, I mean. It was, it was like the Super Bowl. I mean, twice a year, sometimes even three times a year. It was like the Super Bowl. And how about over at Michigan State? Tell me a little bit about Tom Izzo. I mean, it sounds pretty similar to Coach Williams. Um, you know, just a guy who's going to get all in your face. You know, he's going to yell. He's going to scream. Anything you do wrong, he's going to have a problem with it. But at the end of the day, everything that you do, he expects excellence. And, you know, his only motive is to win. But also, you know, one thing that I found out with Coach Izzo, he's the type of guy where <clears throat> some people, he wants them to succeed more than they personally want to succeed. And, you know, I feel like when, when you got a coach and a guy who wants you to be successful just as much or more than you want to be successful, how can you not love that guy as a coach? And, you know, that's one of my big reasons for our relationship being so good. You know, he's such a genuine person, but... You know, when you get on that court and when you're in the office, it's two completely different time zones. You know, we like to say, you know, when, when you're in the office, you got time. When you step on the court, you got Izzo. It's a whole different beast. Yeah. Uh, the, the other thing, too, about him is is that he really gets frustrated when somebody doesn't realize their full potential. And and knowing that, I thought to myself, there must be a lot of similarity between his mother and, <laughs> and Tom Izzo. Am I right about definitely, that? Definitely. Definitely. Um, you know, when – when Coach Izzo was recruiting me, it was on an unofficial visit up at Michigan State. Him and my mom got into a heated battle. Now, mind you, this has always been my dream school, so I'm sitting in this office like, man, when she be quiet, like, you're finna ruin my dream. And she's in a heated battle like, I called you, you didn't return my phone call, da, da, da. I called him a liar and everything. He's like, well, I didn't get a call. You know, my secretary didn't tell me you called, so how was I supposed to know? So they get to arguing and going at it. And they quickly realized that they both want the same thing. They're both trying to get the same thing done. And now you can't keep them off the phone with each other. They're <laughs> definitely similar. So when I got to Michigan State, it wasn't a huge adjustment for me going to Coach Izzo and hearing nothing but yelling because I heard it every day of my life anyway. <laughs> you went all four years to Michigan State. And I know, Harrison, you came out after two years. And I'm just wondering if you both would tell me in about two minutes here your thoughts about the pros and cons of either going the full four years or going and coming out early. Harrison? Well, perspective on both? Yeah, well, yes, exactly. I mean, you came out a shorter period of time, but mm-hmm. I'll get the four-year perspective mm-hmm. from Draymond. Um, I mean, I, to me, it's, it's all about when you're ready personally. Um, I mean, obviously, there's certain things you want to accomplish. Um, you know, I'm trying to go back right now and get my degree. That's something that, you know, Draymond's already got off his, off his books. Um, but... I think it's just a matter of, you know, whenever you feel like you're ready, whenever you feel like your coaches feel like you're ready and whatever you feel like that's the best decision for your family as well because it's a whole lifestyle change and it affects all the people in your circle. I like, you know, 
I wouldn't have mind going after my second year, you know, but <laughs> like you said, <laughs> it's about when you're ready. You know, I probably wouldn't have got drafted after my second year of college. So, no, it's just I think one of the um, things about me coming out as a four-year guy, a lot of guys who came out after two years, I'm probably a lot more mature than. You know, Harrison, there's an exception to every rule. You know, Harrison, he's very mature for his age, but – you know, I think being that I've experienced so much more, you know, played a lot more games, played at a higher level than some guys for a longer period of time, you know, it can have an upper hand in some areas. But like I said, of course, this guy's an exception to that rule. I, I got to tell you both, as I sit here and listen to you, I, I know how people around the world <clears throat> are going to hear this interview. They're going to be blown away, first of all, about how articulate, insightful, and what kind of answers that you give. I mean, I've been doing this business for a long time. And I think there's something to communication, whether it be verbal or on the basketball court. Uh, would you agree with me, Harrison, that that ability to communicate really transposes itself into almost anything you do in life? No question. I mean, uh, I think obviously Draymond's you know much better, you know, motivational speaker. You know, puts his puts the words and speeches together a lot better than I do. But um, obviously, anytime you can you know articulate your words, you know, it can it changes your whole message. I mean, if you're trying to give a motivational speech. You know, to a group of guys, you know, you know, Draymond's known for being you know, a vocal leader. So, you know, if you try to go and speak to the team, you know, if you have a guy who, frankly, can't talk, I mean, it's going to change the whole vibe of that, you know, that message you're trying to get across. And you know, obviously, when you have a guy who's articulate, it's a lot better. We'll take a break here, come back on the other side. And when we do, we'll talk about the professional aspect of their basketball careers as well. We have a pair of young forwards with the Golden State Warriors and watch for them as they play. Harrison Barnes and also Draymond Green. We've got you on Sports Byline. We're talking basketball with Harrison Barnes, first-round draft choice of the Golden State Warriors and also second-round draft choice for the Warriors, Draymond Green. They're in the studio with us. I want to ask you both, and Draymond, I'll start with you. Uh, you watched basketball, obviously NBA basketball. I'm wondering what the difference is between what you saw on TV or if you watched in person, the perception of it, and what you found actually being out on the court and playing the game. The speed. Um, you know, when you're watching the game on TV, you know, and I noticed it kind of when I started going to some Detroit Pistons game on a regular, you know, you see guys on TV, they don't look like they're moving that fast. And you actually go to the game and you sit there and watch. It's like, okay, they're moving a lot faster. Then, you know, we went through this segment where, you know, this part where we play summer league, and it's like, oh, you know, the game haven't changed that much. <laughs> and then you get in preseason, like, okay, it's picked up a little bit more. Then you actually get in the, in the real game, and it's like, whoa, you know, the speed really changes. And you know, I think that's one of the things you can't see on TV. It just looks like guys are really just trotting up and down the court. You get in that game, and it's moving at a real fast pace. And, you know, especially coming from college, you know, with a 35-second shot clock, you can get pressured for eight seconds, get the ball across the court. You still got 27 more seconds. You know, walk around for seven seconds, get in the play at about 20 seconds. And, you know, you still got a lot of time left to execute your play. Well, you get, you know, you get the ball over at about 18 seconds. You better be getting something going real quick. And, you know, one thing I also realized is in this league, you probably want to take the first open shot because that's probably going to be the best one as opposed to not taking that first one and passing it over, trying to make something else, it's going to shut down pretty quickly. Harrison, what would you find? Just that <laughs> what you see is not always how it really happens. Um, I remember I used to see guys trying to attack the basket, for example, on Dwight Howard. I used to wonder, man, why can't guys just, you know, just go around him? I mean, it looks like it takes him so long to get off the ground. 
and we played them um, at their place. I remember I came off a screen, and I saw Dwight there, and I said, I'm just going to lay it right past him. And it was the equivalent of me jumping into that wall right there. So <laughs> I think uh, just what you see from a fan's perspective is completely different from what actually goes on on the court. You guys uh, both uh, went up against the Miami Heat, uh, the defending champions of the NBA. You beat them on their court. And I'm just wondering, when you've played against the best, I mean, those three guys down there, and particularly LeBron, tell me a little bit about what you came away with and what you see the great players do on a consistent basis, game in and game out. I mean, well, first, I mean, LeBron's one of the one of the best players in the NBA. So I think the biggest thing I noticed about him was just how much attention our defense was focused towards around him. I mean, he's not a guy necessarily – that you just only have to worry about his scoring. I mean, he's a guy who can, you know, he can make plays for his teammates. He's a guy that, you know, can can get offensive rebounds, can, you know, create extra opportunities for his team. And then, obviously, I mean, the guy can get out in transition. So, I would say the thing about, you know, him is just how much attention he really commands. Is that the consistent thing of all the great players, uh, no matter what team they happen to be on, that they all get a lot of attention? No question. I mean, whether it's, you know, LeBron, Kevin Durant, you know, Kobe, you know, whoever it is, I mean, these guys, I mean, you just have to just – you know, have multiple eyes on them because not only can they score, you know, at will, they can also, you know, get their teammates scoring. They can, you know, you know, cause a double team, you know, kick out for open shot, and, you know, that can kill you. Draymond, what do you see about the great players? What do they do consistently? Oh, you know, like Harrison said, you know, of course, you know, I think one thing that I learned in college is, you know, okay, it's easy to get off when you're a sophomore, you know, in my role. You know, it's easy to get off when you're a sophomore, a little more as a junior, but when that defense is really focused on you, you know, it's a lot harder to do it. So you got defense. You got defense focusing on those guys of top level talent as well. You know, it's just not where you know you may be in college and you're playing against you know sisters of the poor. You know, you got guys who, you know, you got LeBron James and the defense with Kobe Bryant, Dwight Howard, Ron Artest is all focused on him. You know, and so you get to putting those athletes in those positions and you know guys with unbelievable strength. And for those guys to be able to do it consistently night in and night out, now that's why you end up with the name or you end up in an argument for the greatest player in the world or, you know, guys start talking about the greatest player ever because it's the things that they do. You know, a lot of people in this league can go out and get you 30 on a given night. But to go out and do it every single night, you're going to get 30 and eight assists and seven rebounds. To do that on a consistent basis, I'm not sure how you get it done, but when you're playing against him, you can definitely see why he gets it done. You both were stars in college, and the one thing I have heard from some people is is that one of the mistakes that young players make when they come into the professional league, and particularly in basketball, is they tend to forget they've got to reprove themselves all over again. I mean, you may have been a star at North Carolina or, or at Michigan State, but, hey, guys, you're a rookie when you come into, into our team and into this league. Is that something that that both of you realized coming in? And do you think that young players realize that enough so that they can grow and become successful? I mean, you know, that was definitely something. It wasn't something that I had to realize, though. It was something that I already knew coming <laughs> in. And, you know, I think um, what I went through my freshman year in college really helped me out with that as well. You know, coming out of high school, number one player in the state, all these things, going for yourself, going to the in-state school, thinking, oh, you know, I got this. And then walking on campus and guys shutting that down real quick. Didn't want to have that same experience again. So, you know, you just come in with the head of, hey, 
You know, I know there's, you know, you got a Steph Curry, a David Lee, a Jerry Jack, Carl Landry, Andrew Bogut, all these guys who've been doing this in this league for years. You know, I got to come in and prove my worth and show these guys why I'm able to help them at the same time being a good teammate as well. You know, I think that's one of the most important things too. I think this league can probably be real miserable if you're not a good teammate and guys don't like you and guys don't get along. So you know, I think that was one of the most important things as well. You know, coming out and competing every day and showing my worth, but also being a good teammate while doing that. Harrison, how did you approach uh, the step up? Uh, well, I think the biggest thing I tried to realize was, you know, coming in with kind of some high expectations uh, just from where I was drafted is you realize that there was there was a starting point guard last year on that team. There was a starting, you know, small forward. There was a starting, you know, center. Whoever that was, there was always someone before you. And, I mean, they were doing it well. I mean, you know, we all, you know, come from college. You know, everyone's feeling good. Everyone, you know, averaged, you know, 15 to 20 points. But you know, you're playing on a team with, you know, some guys, you know, Steph, you know, a guy that averaged, you know, 25, 30 in college. You know, got David Lee, guys that did it big in, you know, college that are now in the NBA. You know, now they're doing it big here. So, you know, you kind of have to – just, you know, realize, you know, you're not going to walk into a team and be the man, you know, unless, you know, I mean, you're, you're that type of player. You know, you realize you're going to have to take, you know, you're going to take your lumps and you have to just learn as a rookie through this league and just continue to grow. Is it a challenge for a young player to come to a team, be a rookie, and not really know when to take control of maybe being out on the court or showing deference to the veteran players? I would think that that would be somewhat of a challenge since you're the new guy on the block almost in a sense. I think uh, all that stuff kind of happens early on, uh, kind of the uncertainty, not knowing, you know, whether to shoot or not, you know, not knowing what coach feels about that or the vets. But I feel like now we're at a point in the season where, you know, coach coach has trust, you know, in all his players. I mean, that's, you know, one of the biggest things I like about Coach Jackson is, you know, he believes in his guys. And, you know, our vets, you know, they're, I mean, they're cool. They're understanding. They know, you know what I'm saying, they give us freedom. You know, they're not, you know, hawking for the ball or anything like that. You know, guys like, you know, David Lee, guys that can put up, you know, huge numbers, you know, He'll let you, you know, shoot, you know, two or three times, you know, because he's an unselfish player. So, you know, I think um, you kind of learn that early on. Yeah, it is a challenge, isn't it, Draymond? Because you want to establish yourself, but you also want to show the right respect for the veteran player. Oh, definitely. I mean, you got to show respect. Um, you know, those guys have earned the respect that you show as well. So, you know, it's it's a challenge. Um, like you said, playing for a coach who, you know, not going to complain about shots. You know, I'm shooting thirty percent. So, you know, and. <laughs> For me, every time I miss a shot, this guy keeps telling me to shoot the ball. You know, and I think, you know, having a vet, a veteran like, you know, like he said, a David Lee, you know, Steph Curry keep coming to me and telling me, hey, remember what I told you. First three months of my career, I shot 30%. You know, so it's going to come along, and, you know, I keep putting the work in. He just keep telling me, just keep putting your work in. Your shot's going to fall. So, you know, being surrounded by coaches like that, vets like that, it really helps out a lot. You know, so – you're not second-guessing where you're shooting. You know, if you're going to shoot the ball, shoot it. And that's what they always tell us, you know, don't second-guess it. Just shoot the ball. You know, when we know when it's time for David Lee, we need to get a bucket. We know when he needs to have the ball. We know when Steph Curry needs to have the ball. When when it's a crunch, crunch time, we want those guys to have the ball in their hand. We want those guys taking the shots in those times. So just make sure when the shot's there and for you to take it, take it. But you got to also know your role and, you know, when that time is for you to take a time and situation. I remember talking uh, to to Grant Hill, and I asked him, I said, what do you think people see when they look at a professional basketball player? And he says, well, they look at the car I drive. They look at the jewelry I'm wearing. They probably know what my salary is, but they don't understand the hard work that it took to be able to get here. And I thought that was an insightful comment. Both of you all, until this year, 
did not have the income that you're now getting. And it can be kind of mind-blowing to people. And I know you have said, Draymond, I've been pretty broke my entire life. I'm not going to live that same life, but I'm not going to keep, he says, but I'm going to keep those same principles. And let me put it this way, talking about where you were going to live. You live over in Emeryville. You said, let me put it this way. If Steph Curry is staying somewhere, I can't afford it. I could live in San Francisco, but I'd be broke It's all when it's all said and done. Tell me a little bit about how the professional aspect, the pay that you're now making, how you all are assimilating that into your lives. Draymond? I mean, you just, you know, one thing I think the most important thing is having a budget, you know, and living by that budget, you know, not putting the budget in place. Because at the end of the day, you know, you can have a financial advisor, you can have this, you can have that. At the end of the day, it's your say-so because you're the one working for the money. But, um, you know, just living within your means, you know, I think, you can get in the locker room with a David Lee and see him go, you know, have a certain car. You can't get that car yet. So, you know, it's just basically living within your means and knowing that, you know, I can work hard and get to that point. But right now, this is where I'm at. You know, I've never had this much money before. So let me figure out what I need to do in order to make that money grow, in order to save that money, what I need to do right, the things that I need to get done. And just put it all in perspective, you're going to make mistakes because, like I said, you've never dealt with that much money before. Just make sure your mistakes that you do make is something that you can quickly bounce back for and not something that completely takes you out. Harrison? I mean, I echo all the things that Draymond says. Um, just I always try to just stay with the rookies. Uh, usually if you stay with the rookies, you kind of hang with people who, you know, you got to, each got the same amount of change in your pocket, you know what I'm saying, staying on that path. I mean, if you try to go – you know, like he said, you know, keeping up with, you know, guys who, you know, have been in this league longer. I mean, they may have more expensive things, but they've also accumulated more money. So to them, going out and purchasing something that, you know, may seem like a lot to you really isn't that much to them. So you just got to live within your means, um, not try to stray away and not try to keep up with, you know, veteran guys who have made a lot of money in this league. We only have two minutes left, but I would think also one of the challenges, and I remember talking to Sugar Ray Leonard, the boxing champion, I said, how hard was it for you, Ray, once you became successful? He said, you know, we had a lot of people that would come out and say, hey, bro, have you forgotten where you came from and always want something? Uh, is it hard to isolate yourself from the demands and expectations of others, Harrison? To me, it's all about just remembering where you came from, but also remembering those who helped you. I mean, if, you know, once you get to this level, I mean, there's obviously a lot of people who want your attention and, you know, want to get, try to get at you, but. You know, if they weren't there early on, I mean, it's kind of hard to feel obligated to, you know, give to them now. So I always try to do a good job of just trying to remember where I came from, always try to give back to that, but, you know, realize, you know, there are certain limitations. Draymond? Uh, you know, like Harrison said, you know, remember where you came from is huge, you know, and giving back what you can give back. You know, and one thing that I've realized is you're not obligated to give anything. You give, when you give stuff, you give it from your heart. And so you always want to do something for, you know, what you feel has helped make you and put you in this position. You know, however, sometimes it can get skewed. You know, some people may see, oh, he signed this deal, you know, and that pop up in the newspaper and they think, oh, he got that much money in the bank, exactly what pop up. Don't take taxes into account. Don't take that you get that money over a period of time. None of that. They just think. So, you know, you just have to keep keep into account of, you know, I, I'm going to help who I want to help and I'm going to help when I'm able to help. And you can't really feel pressured to do anything because, you know, nobody knows your situation better than you. You know, you know how much money you got in the bank. You know 
if you can be at this appearance, if you can go talk at this camp, you know all the things that you can do and when you can do them. You just can't be pressured to do something that's going to hurt you or pressured to say you can do something and you really can't do it. In about 10 seconds, how do you keep this game a game? Just keep having fun. You know, that's the most important thing. Have fun with it because it's what you love to do. It's you've done it your entire life. Harrison? Do what got you here. And just it's just that simple? Just that simple. <laughs> I, I want to thank you both because I've been looking forward to having you in. I've heard an awful lot about you. I've seen you play basketball, and I knew you were talented there, but I'd also heard a lot about you as people. And I think what you've done is a lot of people are going to come away very impressed with what they've heard tonight. Thank you very, very much for joining us. Thanks for having us. Again, Harrison Barnes, forward for the Golden State Warriors. He was taken by Golden State in that first round. Just an outstanding player. He played at North Carolina for Roy Williams. And also Draymond Green with us, uh, forward for the Warriors as well. He played for Tom Izzo at Michigan State. We continue with more of you and America's Sports Talk Show.